Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. It's Dr. Paula McDonald with the Exhale Bible Discovery. We are on 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And our last lesson, Paul was most definitely passionate about his ministry. And we heard his heart when he shared emphatically that he did nothing on his own accord. And then he hammered the point regarding the mind of Christ. And this week, Paul teaches us the lesson about building a strong foundation in Christ. And additionally, he illustrates the lesson about our bodies being a temple. So we're going to divide this into two sections, motivated by the flesh, verses 1 through 9, and motivated by foundation, 10 through 23. So we're going to jump right in. And, you know, we each fail miserably on our own. In our own skin, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, We remain on a fleshly level, and Paul understood this firsthand and wanted desperately to convey to the church and to us today to not allow our fleshly selves to rule our lives. It is only when we humbly submit that we can tame our flesh through the Spirit. So verses 1 and 2 start out with, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Wow, this chapter begins with the hard truth to the people and to us today that we're in our fleshly, worldly ways. When Paul tells them that they were mere infants in Christ, it was to let them know that in order to move forward in our Christian lives, You've got to be willing to go deeper with your relationship with Christ. And we all begin our Christian walk as baby believers. Infants are fed only on milk because their system is not ready for solid food. But at some point in our growth, whether it is our physical or spiritual growth, we've got to move from the milk of our baby Christianness into solid food. Spiritual growth only happens. When believers spend ample time in prayer, Bible study, and worship. And spiritual growth, it's not a one-way action where Christ reaches down to us, we accept Him, and then we do nothing to grow in Him after that. And it's up to each believer to do their part to grow in Him. It's a two-way street. And in this way, Believers, we become sanctified daily as we grow closer to Him. And so it's very, very important that we understand you don't just go to the altar call. You don't just receive Christ and then remain stagnant. It is super, super important. Then verse 3, you are still worldly. Since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And now Paul addresses the church 
because of their outward actions. When we are chastised for our worldly behavior, we've got to take an inward assessment of our behavior. Are we acting like Christ-led people, or do we act like those who do not have Christ in their lives? And a true life that is sold out to Jesus should be different from those who are of the world. And this does not mean being boastful in Christ. We are not better than our fellow brothers and sisters. The difference is that we have eternity to look forward to. And for this reason, we must be different to the world. They've got to see Christ in us. And then in verse 4, he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? And again, Paul is pointing out the folly of the church and of believers putting their faith in leaders or in worship rather than on Jesus Christ. Verses 5 and 6 then say, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. God began making it grow. Paul clearly tells the people that the leaders of the church are merely men whom God has assigned his specific tasks. We are to be the seed sowers to nurture the new growth, yet it is ultimately God who causes the growth. Such a life lesson that those who do gardening themselves, they fully understand this concept. Because you can buy or cultivate seeds from a plant, but you didn't create the seed. You can push that seed into fertile soil and you can water it and feed it, but you do not personally make the seed germinate and grow. So when we recognize the creator and his role, we can then give credit where credit is due. And so what a beautiful lesson this is to us as believers. So are you sowing the seeds of the kingdom? Are you helping to nurture Christian growth in yourself and in others? Well, this is what we have been called to do. And just like the seeds when planted, our job is to cultivate, nurture, and to feed fellow believers, to get off the milk and to move forward. However, it is God who grows them into the person he has planned for them but only when they make the choice to do so. In verse 7, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Only God makes things grow. So each of us were simply conduits for the kingdom. None of us can take credit for God's growth. We can certainly be his helpers, but we must never claim credit for the glory that belongs solely to the king himself. Verse 8, The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. As laborers in the kingdom, each of us will be rewarded to God what he has entrusted us with. But this does not mean that our work is going to get us into heaven. It does mean, though, that there are going to be rewards in heaven based on the work we did for Christ during the time we were given on this earth. 
And so this verse should certainly give each of us a pause as we assess what we are doing with the time that we have left on this earth. Verse 9, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So he has chosen you and I to do very specific things in his kingdom. Each of us has been given different gifts, and he has entrusted those gifts to be used for his glory. What are you doing with your gifts and time? So the truth bomb for this section is, Paul points out what being spiritually immature means. And so your call to action is, God calls all Christians to expand upon their spiritual growth. Each of us is responsible to grow closer to Christ on a daily basis. Are you still drinking the milk? Or have you now begun to feed upon the meat of spiritual maturity? So now we're going to move into the second section, motivated by foundation. Verses 10 and 11. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ. And in those of us who've built houses, we understand the importance of ensuring that the foundation is rock solid. Because as you know, without a stable foundation, the structure simply will not last. And so Paul is using this analogy to the church. And he's pointing out that Christ is the only foundation for his church. Anything or anyone else will cause the church to crumble and fail. The warning is to individual believers in that each of us must be wary of being misled or in ourselves misleading others away from Christ. And again, there is a clear responsibility for each and every believer in that we have work to do for the kingdom. Verses 12 and 13, if anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And so here we have Paul defining two different classes of building materials. First class was the gold and the silver and the costly stones, all that support the aspects of Jesus Christ, a solid foundation. And then the second group was wood, hay, or straw, representing cheaper materials that simply do not last. So as we relate these materials to believers, we've got to take heed that our foundation being laid for our faith must rest only in true Christian doctrine. We can never allow a cheaper, easier version of being a believer to replace the majesty and the permanence of Christ. And remember, We are talking about the church, that's you and I, in that we are his temples, and our temple must be kept pure and strong. So the question you have to ask is, am I building my faith in the solid doctrines found in the Bible, or am I allowing a secular, blowing-in-the-wind type doctrine that is man-defined to build my temple? 
Based on your answer, time will certainly tell. Those who are deeply entrenched and rooted in Christ and in his word, we will never fail. Those who have not invested in these things, they will be exposed and torn down. Verses 14 through 15. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So again, what he's saying is, we can't fool the Lord. Those who pretend to be serving yet have not fully submitted to Christ, you guys, they're going to be exposed. And Christ knows that many are going to be eager to follow him at first. But soon they lose their zeal and they fizzle and they fall back into their old worldly ways. Good intentions never get the work done. Work for the kingdom only gets done with an investment of time, commitment, and dedication. And wishful thinking is just that. It's wishful. Verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? This is a very well-known verse that tells believers that we are God's temple and that each of us is now considered to be the temple of Christ. And you guys, when you think about that, what an honor for those of us who love him. And if you go back and read in the Old Testament how the temple to God was constructed, you will find precise and exact instructions. Moses received exact instructions to build the tabernacle, which was the tent unto the Lord that they could move from place to place. And then later, the temple was built in Jerusalem, where the Spirit of God dwelt. And in 2 Samuel 7, 1-13, after David's death, David's son was told that he would build God a house, that his kingdom would be established forever in the person of that seed, which we know is Christ. And Christ came in order to bring his gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell with every single believer. So no longer do God's people have to count on a priest to do their bidding before God. Because of the Holy Spirit, believers can now come directly to God. And when we truly comprehend the magnitude of the meaning of this verse, you should be humbled to the core. We, you guys, we are the temple of Christ. And we reflect him through this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. It is an honor and a responsibility. Then in verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So what destroys God's temple? Well, that's anything that hurts and diminishes your work for Christ. This includes personal behavior and how we treat the temple itself, our bodies. Do you honor your temple so much that you take very seriously your own physical, mental, and emotional health? And we destroy his temple when we act worldly and fleshly and when we neglect this vessel, our body, that was a gift to us. 
How can we be fully effective for the kingdom if we are polluting our bodies with junk food and we have excess weight that causes us to be sick and mental weariness due to physical maladies? As tough as this truth is, it should cause all of us to face the responsibility we have for the physical condition of our temple. This temple has been entrusted to you and I. So how have and are you caring for your temple? It is time to return it to him fully through your mind, your body, and your spirit. And then verse 18 goes on, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. So Paul is saying kind of tongue in cheek here that many believers are deceived that they know more than God. They believe in their own foolish things and not on the standards God has set. And God will eventually use our foolish ways to show us how wrong we are because the only wisdom is from God and never from man. Verses 19 through 20. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, as it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So when a man puts his own or other men's wisdom ahead of God's, kind of like sometimes people oh, well, that's science, so it's got to be true. He will surely discover someday how foolish this was. They are, those who are hell-bent on worldly wisdom will surely find they are bent for hell. Verses 21 through 23. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas of the world, or life, or death, or present, or future. All are yours, and all, and you are Christ, and Christ is of God. So Paul goes back to the stern warning, putting your faith into men. Don't do that. No human leader is above Christ. And remember, Paul is warning the Corinthians because they were exalting their leaders, and they lost their purpose in Christ. So we should take heed of this warning. Are you putting more stock into your pastor your praise and worship team, a blogger, somebody you listen to, then you are of the truth found in Christ and in the Bible, because that is only, those are the only things you should be counting on. Go to him today and humbly ask him to help you keep your focus upon him and him alone. Your truth bomb is, as believers in Christ, our faith should only be built upon the firm foundation that is found in Christ alone. Your call to action. How firm is your spiritual foundation? When things become shaky in your life, will your foundation remain solid? So in summary, we have two excellent points here. One, as believers, we must give up our worldly, fleshly selves. And the only way to do this is to move from being a baby Christian into spiritual maturity. And this can only happen when we dedicate our whole selves to Him through prayer, Bible study, worship, and in service to Him. We can't do this on our own accord, but through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who indwells within us. And our second main lesson here, 
our foundations must be firmly laid in Christ. It's important to assess what your own foundation looks like right now. And when life becomes unstable, are you quick to give up, to be mad at God? Or is your foundation rock solid in Christ that no matter what storms come in life, you are going to be able to maintain the course and you will not be torn down? Living daily for Christ takes effort. You can't expect to develop a deep, firm foundation if you are still in the infancy of your Christianity. Those who accepted Christ years ago, and yet they haven't moved forward at all, you're going to have to answer to the Almighty. Others should clearly see Christ within your life. There's no excuse to remain in spiritual infancy. So where are you on your spiritual journey? It is important to continue growing in Christ each and every day. Walk boldly toward him and allow him to build your foundation with him who will never fail you. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. Click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 